You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. We're going to be in Luke 7, verse 11 through 16. I'm going to read it one way through, and then I just want to break down a few points because this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I think it encapsulates not only the gospel perfectly, but it also encapsulates the church and the church's mandate perfectly. <clears throat> Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of the disciples went with him and a large crowd. Someone say crowd. Crowd. Someone say Jesus crowd. Jesus crowd. Okay. And when he came near the gate, good job, by the way. When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man. Other translations say a young dead man. So this is a not adult. This is a young dead man was being carried out, the only son of a mother, and she was a widow and a large crowd, there it is again, and a large crowd from the city was with her. Next verse. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he, ha- he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he, so he who was dead set up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. <laughs> then fear, which is logical, that's kind of freaky. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. Close. And God has visited his people. Correct. Keep going. And the report about him went throughout all of Judea and the surrounding region. Jesus, help me be coherent. And speak your word clearly in your name, amen. Love that scripture. I want to start first with the very, verse 11. Guys, if you could go to it. It was a city called Maine, or Nain. Nain translates to green pastures or a beautiful place. There's a crowd of Jesus people with Jesus in the middle, says, heading to that city. That's the direction they're going. Then there's another crowd heading away from that place, and it's a funeral procession. There's a collision here of two crowds, and I I think it's a perfect example of what the church is called to be. The church is a crowd of Jesus people. You have to understand, this crowd was following him because they'd been seeing miracle after miracle, sign after sign. Jesus was doing crazy stuff. He was healing people, and so they're hyped, man. They're, 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 They're having like a party walking into the city. They're pumped on what's happening. And there's one crowd going this way towards the green pasture, towards life, towards something beautiful, because that's the way Jesus is going. That's the way Jesus pulls our life. He's not looking for, you know, a holy huddle that hides in a cave and waits for Armageddon. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a mighty church, a mighty church that says we shape culture. We don't bend a knee to pop culture or wokeness. We, we are here and we got Jesus with us. And we're going to tell you what Jesus is doing. We're going to show you what Jesus is doing. We're here to bring, we're going with Jesus. And Jesus is going this way. But there's another crowd. It's a funeral procession. And they're going away from the place of beauty. They're heading towards, towards a burial, towards an in-game. And that's such a great contrast between what the church is doing and what this world without Jesus is where they're going. There's two crowds in this world, those who know Jesus and those who don't. And honestly, everything boils down to that. 
Everything boils down to that. Who you say Jesus is is the most important decision you will make in this life. It is the most important decision. So here's the Jesus crowd. They're hyphy. They're loving it. They're moving. They're grooving. They're enjoying life. And then they see this procession coming this way. Let me just start with this little side note for you, a little freebie. What crowd you're in matters. The current of your crowd is important. Did you know that in, in the Israel days that when there was a funeral, if you had money, you were supposed to pay professional mourners? So some of the people in this crowd are professionals at, like, sadness. Like, they're professional weepers. What a weird profession, right? So you've got these professional mourners just helping drive along this path towards destruction, towards the end, towards finality. And then you see the church, the Jesus crowd. And they're bringing Jesus this way. And I love Jesus' response. And this should be the response to the church. Jesus jumps out and he says, hold up. Hold up. We're going this way. And I'd like to step into this situation. And I'd like to turn it around. But he goes to the heart of the issue. Right? He's got to change the core thing in the middle of that circle, which is the death, which is the tragedy. And that's how Jesus embraces us, man. When he comes into our life, he goes right to the heart of the issue. He jumps right into the issue because he knows where this thing is pulling us. Back to the group, professional mourners. I just want to give you guys something. This is why being a part of church is important because out there, if, someone, if, you're, if you're a group, if you look around your group and you got to ask yourself, you know, am I in a Jesus group that actually believes God at his word or am I in a professional kind of like sympathy group here? Because you know where our natural instinct is, is we'll gravitate towards people that will validate our dysfunction. That's where we gravitate to. Some of us might not want to admit it, but we have friends that are professional weepers with us. You know? You, you might have a bunch of followers on your social media, and you know if I just say, oh, I had a rough day, you know, you got like, girlfriend, you rock, I love you, you know, the, the, little, the little touch, like, oh, you're the best, you're, you're my everything, it's okay, bae, you know, whatever it is. We're, we, we seek out sympathy and empathy, but Jesus didn't respond with sympathy or empathy, he responded in compassion, compassion. Compassion says, I see where you're at, but I want to make something better. I want to step in and actually do something. So just what crowd you roll with matters. I learned this in college. Can I be real for a minute? Okay, I'm going to be real for a minute, okay? I got saved in high school, radical, radical. My, like, a lot of people in my school got saved. We were like, I, I, and now I look back, it was like, whatever you want to call it, revival. It was like crazy. And, uh, you know, I had this amazing group of people. We all kind of got saved and grew the same youth group at the same time. And I had this, I had this Jesus group that is like, even if you were having an off day, it was just the flow with your group was pulling you in a good direction, you know, but then I got into college, still love Jesus, but the only person at my, I only knew one other Christian at my college when I started college and he was in that group, you know, and I thought, well, it's, it's good enough. It's good enough. We got me and him, but I noticed over the first couple months of college, we were starting to drift. You know what I'm talking about? There's somebody in this room. You've had moments you're on fire with Jesus, but if you were honest, you've been in a bit of a drift. Because I got out of one crowd and started to kind of plant myself in another crowd. 
And just like a, like a salmon swimming downstream don't, don't, downstream, don't think you can stop swimming and you'll stay where you're at. So I get in the, it was just me and this one other Christian guy. And anyways, fast forward, we find ourselves at a party. You know, and it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's the full party, right? It's the whole thing. It's the smoking, it's the drinking, it's all this. I was a little bit like, okay, this is a little heavy. And I'm more of just kind of the rogue person that tries to come up with something like adrenaline rushy. And so I'm like, I look at my buddy, I'm like, dude, let's go break into the pool in this complex and go for like a night swim. And we're like, yeah, we get all hyped up in the moment. We tell a couple people and some people are running with us and we go and we hop the fence and jump in the pool in our clothes, you know? And I like get in the pool and I'm like, this is better. This feels good. And I look back and a couple of the ladies that were coming with us are using less clothing (laughs) than, than we had jumped in with the pool with. They weren't completely, but it was enough. And I, I was just like this very weird moment because, mind you, I was an intern at the church. I, I, was, I was preaching to junior hires about not doing and putting yourself in the place I found myself. I'm in a pool with a girl in her underwear, and I'm like, oh, boy, how did we get here? Wow. Now, I had enough common sense because I'd been working in youth ministry that at 19, I had about three seconds to get out of there. I was going to be stupid. So I did. I, I was super awkward. I was like, bye. And I just ran. <laughs> Soaking wet, got my car, drove away. <laughs> I, I wish I could take credit, but I was three seconds away from stupid. Okay. If you're 19 out there and you're a male, just know you're always three seconds away from stupid. Okay. <laughs> I love you. But put yourself in good situations. Be with the Jesus crowd. I told you I was going to get real. But I remember driving home, and I, I began to, I just kind of had this moment. And I just said, God, like, I need, I never want to not be part of a community of people. Part of a community of believers. And that doesn't mean I want a holy huddle. I just want to make sure that I outnumber the funeral crowd. So that when we interrupt it, it's not me against everyone. Or me and Jesus against everyone, but there's, there, it said, two large crowds collided in this moment. That's why the church is important. That's why being in a connect group is important. I'm telling you, there's a drift, and Jesus wants you to be around people that not just, not just hold you, like not a shame accountability. I'm just going to say this. Can I rant on this? And we've all done this if you've been in church longer than like 10 minutes, but when people come up and like, hey, bro. Will you be my accountability partner? We should get coffee every week. And I'll just kind of talk to you. It, it comes from a sincere place. It never works. You have coffee three or four times. And if you are one of the people that have had coffee consistently with somebody for many years, props to you. I have just not seen it work. But you know what does work? Getting in like a community of people. A connect group of people. Serving on a team together with a common goal and energy. That I've seen work countless times. I've seen that work countless times. Okay, so let's go. Let's go. So the name of the city is Nain, which means a good place. That's where Jesus has taken his people. Now, I want to talk about these two crowds colliding. Being in a live church is always important to me because the natural flow of the other crowd is leading towards destruction condemnation, and also just hopelessness. And so 
These two crowds collide, and that really is the job of the church, is that we're the Jesus people. We're with Jesus. Jesus goes with us, he says. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. And so we are that crowd carrying Jesus. Because when Jesus gets into a situation, have you ever noticed, if you read your Bible, that Jesus ruined every freaking funeral he ever went to? He does not know how to, he even ruined his own. Couldn't even land that plane. He is not good at funerals. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Because the Bible says he is the resurrection. See, when Jesus gets into the room, when Jesus gets into a situation, it's not like he's, oh, should I do my thing or should I? He is. He is resurrection. He is love. If he's entered into a place, that place bows a knee. That funeral bows a knee to Jesus because once Jesus interrupts that funeral, resurrection power is going to overcome that situation. Our job is to be the crowd that brings Jesus into the situation. Our job is to be, be the people that say, hey, I know you feel like you're going to a funeral, but could you just take a detour with me tomorrow morning and come to this event center? Don't worry, just come. You'll see something, okay? You can, if they're scared of church, you can just, but can, you be a, can we be a crowd of people that say, hey, before you finish this funeral, before you get to the, your final destination, will you, will you come and meet this crowd? Because there's a guy in this crowd, and he's doing things. He's doing things. But I want to ask, what kind of crowd are we? What kind of crowd are you in your life? Because once you get in the Jesus crowd, you actually begin to see the funeral crowds. You'll actually begin to recognize, whoa, that, that's, that's not it. And, you know, let me just pause for a minute because we live in a valley that I think most would argue there's a bit of religion going on in this valley. And, uh, and religion is no better counterfeit. It's just a shinier. What did, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? Your whitewashed tombs. All you're doing is shining up the same problem. And you know what you're probably doing? You're adding a little extra guilt, shape, condemnation, responsibility. You're, you're throwing things on people that are already marching to a funeral. And then you just sit there and you heap on. Well, God might be angry with you. God might... You know, yeah, yeah, I know the Bible says that salvation comes from belief in Jesus alone, but, but man, you know, if you don't stop cussing, just that's out there for someone, okay? <laughs> for me too. Help me, Jesus. Religion's just a whitewash too. The Jesus crowd is with Jesus. Not a dead prophet, but an alive, powerful God that lives in our heart. And that has equipped us to be his hands and feet to this valley. John 3.16. Whoever, or, For God so loved the world that whomsoever. I, I, we could just preach on that verse for a whole series. For God so loved the world. When you read your Bible through that lens that God loves the world. And that he intercedes and he steps in despite the sin, despite the transgression. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. We're, I'm not going soft on sin. Sin is a problem. But Jesus was the solution. He wasn't the condemner. Of, he wasn't the pointer. He was the solution to it. He's the antidote to the problem. And we get to usher in that crowd. Get to my notes. Another thing that's cool about this verse is it says that, that they met at the gate. They met at the gate. 
Gates have a lot of significance in Jewish culture. They meant a lot more, you know, it wasn't just like a hinge on a door. The gates of cities were the openings where the, wall, the walls would be built to protect, but they were often large. There was, awesome, there was often uh, like, not courtrooms, but like open air areas in there. There was often a lot of transaction going on, vendors there. There was a lot going on at the gate. Jesus meets us at our gate. See, let me translate this, because this will help you understand a, a scripture that I had a long, long time struggle with understanding. It says, gates are places where deals are made, public announcements are dis- are, and decrees are done, and judgment is sentenced. The king would also judge at the gate. See, back then, they didn't have contracts. They didn't have, you know, no one, not everyone was literate to write out a contract. So if you wanted to make a business transaction or an exchange, you went to the gate, because the gate always had witnesses. That's why in the story of Ruth, it says that Boaz was going to marry Ruth, but he had to go to the, he went to the gate and talked to the other person in the family because technically he was second in line to be the kindred redeemer. And so it happens at the gate. So when Peter has this revelation that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus says, Hey, on what you just said on that rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. It makes a lot more sense if you, drew, if you knew what the gates of a city represented. Because I always used to read that verse and be like, who is like using a gate as a tactical weapon in battle? <laughs> you know, like who's just whipping off the white picket and going, ah, you know, I, I never really got. I'm like, no, that's not an offensive weapon. A gate's not a, something you attack. But if you understand what happens at the gate, this is where plans are made. This is where decrees are released. This is where judgment gets placed. You see, when, the G- when Jesus gets in the mix, he doesn't just heal physically, but he wants to go into the belief system. He goes into our belief system. He says, hey, I need to know what's been decreed over you. What's the devil been saying about you before I got here? What's, what did your parents say about you? What did that bully in school say about you? Because there's been some decrees, and if you actually came under agreement with that, it's going to cause some dysfunction. And Jesus goes to the heart of matter. He meets us at that gate. He'll meet us at the place where judgment. Maybe you, maybe you haven't been in church in a long time. Maybe this is kind of new to you because whatever, you had a, an offense happen. Somebody, you felt judged, misrepresented. Jesus wants to come into that place. He's not interested in like fake stuff. He, he likes to get right into the core things. The core belief system you have. That's why we've got to get the word of God in us. Because these are decrees over your life too. I'm the head, not the tail. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Some of us got to get the word of God in us because we're defining our, our expectations and our reality on our past. And you know, your brain is literally hardwired to only remember the negative stuff. That's why the news keeps it negative. Your brain can, can begin to set your expectations of God and your theological standpoints off of two bad things that happened to you. Even though God's been working signs, wonders, and miracles. But our brains are hardwired to forget those things. Thank you, John Day. That's good preaching. That'll help people. That'll help you. So important to renew our mind with who Christ says we are. That's where he wants to be. And yes, we, we, we get to have the Holy Spirit. We can ask the Holy Spirit. But you know what? He loves to use to amen what he's saying to you, the word. 
Because this is infallible. This has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. This book has transformed and split time in half. It's not so much the book. It's, it's what God said in the book. You know, I, I, sometimes people get really weird, and it's almost like they, they worship the, like, paper. And it's, no, it's, it's, it's God's breathed Holy Spirit. It's the words of God. It's the words of God that carry us. Jesus wants to come at the gate and switch some of the decrees. Switch some of the things you're in agreement with. You know, some of us have made an agreement, said, listen, I'll, I'll keep you in my life as long as you bring comfort when I'm stressed out. You know, addiction, is a, it can be an agreement. Say, well, I'll, I'll trade some of my money and, you know, some of my personal space for you to come in and numb me when I need that. Jesus wants to come in and say, hey, let's make a new pact. Let me be the Prince of Peace. Some of you, I just got to hit this. Some of you where you're most commonly attacked or where your cycles seem to, cycles of dysfunction keep going, right there is where Jesus has actually got the biggest call and the grace on you and he's going to use you in the mighty way. Some of you here struggling with anxiety or fear. Let me tell you, fear is actually just, you use the same muscle to have fear and have faith. It's trust. It's just where are you putting your trust? Fear is believing that something uh, is going to happen that hasn't happened yet. Faith is believing something's going to happen that hasn't happened yet. So you might say, well, I'm a really fearful person. And I would say, no, you got, you, you're probably a pretty strong truster. You just got to pivot. You got to put your trust not in what people said about you, but what in God said about you. And you'll find that your trust muscle in, in Jesus' grace is going to grow really high. You know, I love, I love how the angel greets Gideon. You know, Gideon's there hiding, trying to shift wheat. And he says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Yeah. Just, just prophesize what he'd be. And you know what? He was right. Yeah. He just needed a pivot. Wow. He needed a word from God. He needed to understand that God was for him and that he'd called him for this time. Right. So Jesus meets you at the gate. Another thing that if you grew up in a Jewish culture, you would understand the offensiveness of this. But it says in that passage that Jesus walked up and touched the casket. That was a big faux pas. Dead, dead people were considered unclean. In Jewish law, you were not allowed to touch a dead person. But Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. He could have said something, but I believe it's intentional. I think he wants to show part of his character. First, I want you to see, it's very interesting. Most miracles Jesus did when you read your Bible, people asked him for help. This is one miracle where no one asked him to step in. It was just, it, I, I believe because of the call and what he was getting ready to do and the resurrection power that was carrying in him, he just saw this situation. He said, this is not the direction. I've got this crowd here. We have this moment. We're going towards a victory. And, I, and my heart is breaking for this crowd going away from victory. And I, and I have the key. So Jesus is moved by compassion. But he goes straight to touch the unclean thing. Can we bring up the keys? Some people in here, you feel unclean. You feel like you're trying, but you're not good enough. You've tried, but you keep finding yourself in similar scenarios, similar situations. You've tried to beat the depression, you've tried to beat the anxiety. 
you've tried to go for purity and, and it makes you feel unclean. Jesus goes straight into that moment. See, religion will always try to shame you into changing your behavior. It's change the outside or you're gonna be in trouble. But Jesus says, no, I'm coming from the inside out. I'm not afraid of something being unclean because I am the purity that you need. He was gonna be a trade. This is just a foreshadowing of what he would do. He would take our unclean and he would bestow upon us his resurrection, his purity, his clean. Jesus isn't afraid of your unclean. And I believe that just like he stopped this funeral procession, some people in here, Jesus is saying, stop right now. That's why you're in the house of God right now. Because he wants to say, I'm not afraid of your unclean. I'm not afraid of your past. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just here to say, we're going to turn this thing around. We're going to turn this thing around. There's no rebuke. There's just a touch. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's what Jesus, I, I get so moved when I preach on Jesus or I read my Bible because I love to see what moves God. Church, I, I, I'm so passionate about us being, you know, letting Jesus pull us into the Jesus crowd, get us healthy, get us whole, so that we can have eyes to see funeral processions and start to say, you know what? No, 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 I know Jesus. He didn't ask permission to jump into this one. If my friend is going down, going down a road and I know they need Jesus, I'm, I'm gonna be the Jesus crowd and get him in the mix because if he can just get there and touch it, it's gonna be fixed. Our job is just to get people to Jesus. He, he made the church to do that. Now, he, the crazy thing is through the Holy Spirit, you'll find that when you go after somebody, the Holy Spirit's been working on them on the back end. So many people, they're like, man, I just can't believe it. You, you'll invite someone to church and, and they'll be like, that's crazy. I just, I, I had this dream last night or something. Something's, God's on the move. But he's looking for us to be the funeral wreckers because that's where this world's heading. And, and, and there are people here that Jesus is stopping the show right now for you. He's saying, hey, I love you and I'm for you and I want you to join a different party. Two crowds. But he wants you to get in the Jesus crowd because you know where the Jesus crowd's heading? It's heading to those green pastures and it's stopping and breaking down every funeral along the way. Church, we are gonna break up the funerals here in Salt Lake City Valley. We are going to stand in the gap for our city. We are going to say, we've just gotta get Jesus in this situation. And Jesus will say, stop, we've got this, I've got you. So I'm gonna take a minute right now I did not get through all my notes, but I'm gonna ask everyone just to bow their head and close their eyes. I believe there's some people in the room where you've been on the, um, not intentional, 
right? Like I said, I said before, but if you were to be honest, you'd be like, which camp am I in? Which party am I in? Which way am I heading? And you would say, ah, I think I'm in the funeral crowd going the wrong direction. And today Jesus is coming into the situation and he's saying, stop. I want to take you a different way. You've tried this on your own and it's heading away from where you want to go. Let me step in. He's not, when it comes to this whole salvation thing, he's not your helper. He's your savior. He's not going to help you choose the right or do nice things. He's going to take your sin, pay the price for you. And then he imparts his holiness and purity into you so that you can come to the loving father, forgiven and pure. And then from love, you begin to discover the pathway to life. Life and life abundantly, Jesus called it. And so if you're in the room and you need to give your life to Jesus, the Savior Jesus, the funeral-wrecking Jesus, the loving Jesus, for the first time, I want to give you that opportunity in a minute. And also, if you're in the room and maybe at some point, you like, I think I did this or did, but you've just taken the, your life back into your own hands and you're like, oh, snap, I'm, I am not heading the way I wanted to go. I want to give you the chance to rededicate and just ask Jesus back into the driver's seat where he belonged the whole time. So everybody's head bowed, nice closed. I want to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to do something a little brave. And I'm going to ask you when I count to three to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. But it's also for you to acknowledge, Jesus, I need you. I need you. So head down, eyes closed. If you want me to include you in this prayer, you need to come back to Jesus because he's stopping the funeral procession for you today. Would you just raise your hand real quick? One, two, three. Who's that that I'm going to pray for today? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? I just feel for a second, want, there's somebody in here, I'm just telling you, Jesus, set this whole thing up for you today. Stop in the funeral procession saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, you guys can all look up at me. Why don't we stand to our feet? I think there's about five or four or five of you that raised your hand. We're going to all pray together right now. And if you are one of those people that raised your hand, right over here in this corner is Ted Miller. Ted, will you raise your hand? And Ted's got a team of people here. Listen, I'm going to ask you to... Right when he closes the service, head over to him. He's got a, a Bible for you. We want to just pray with you real quick. We're going to pray together right now, but we want to pray. And we also want to just give you a resource, a book called Following Jesus. There's nothing magical about it, but it's very practical because what the Bible says you did today is being born again. It's the start of something. So we want to put you on the right track, the track of, you know, getting 
fully in, in, involved and being a part of what God's doing in you because you're not gonna go from here and try to earn any love or salvation. You're already fully loved and washed by Jesus. But you do wanna go from here and begin to develop and learn how to walk in this freedom that you receive. But begin to be discipled. The Bible said we make disciples, we don't make converts. So we want to welcome you in. So come talk to Ted. But everyone that raised your hand and then everyone else, let's pray this out loud together. Mean this from your heart and watch what Jesus is going to do. He's stepping into the funeral. Dear Jesus, come on, we can do a little better at 11 o'clock. Dear Jesus, this morning, I give my heart to you. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for all my sins and that because of that I can be forgiven I ask you to forgive me and wash me clean and today I make you the Lord of my life give me your Holy Spirit and help me begin to discover all the plans you have for my life in Jesus name I pray Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.